welcome to downtown Grace Community Church. Uh, we are in a little bit of a different space tonight, but uh, we're just downstairs in the downtown office. Um, thanks for tuning in on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you're um, yeah, checking us out today. So there are very little announcements, um, so just keep up to date on the Grace B3 um, website. So it's graceb3.org. Um, so just check out updates. Everything's being updated constantly there. Um, and if you're on the app, you'll get notifications or just um, check the little section that says COVID, um, coronavirus. That part will also give you updates. So let's just dive into the word and um, see what the Lord has for us today. So we are reading Exodus 1, 8 through 14. Um, now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, put them in Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, with mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome. We're so glad you're tuning in. If you happen to be watching this on Fox 28 and would like to get connected with us, please reach out. Um, or if you're watching it in any other means and are not connected to our church, we'd love to help you get connected. Check in with us at graceb3.org. Get connected. We're continuing in our series in the book of Exodus. Uh, we're in week two. And last week was the introduction. And today we're really jumping in to the meat of the text. Do you ever feel like in life that there is an enemy against you? Not necessarily a physical enemy, but maybe an unseen enemy that you can't see, that is opposed to the things that you are trying to do in life. Maybe it's in a spiritual context, or maybe it's not. And sometimes we do have physical enemies. But sometimes it seems like there's something or someone against us, and we can't put our finger on it. We can't articulate it. Today, as we turn to Exodus, we see one of the major themes of Exodus, where we see God delivering his people from multiple different kinds of enemies. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. Would you pray with me and for me as we get started? Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Thank you that your word speaks, your spirit speaks, your people speak, and we want to hear from you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we open up Exodus chapter 1, uh, this was covered a little bit in the introduction, but by way of review, in Exodus 1-5, we see a continuation from Genesis. And actually, the book of Exodus really ends where Genesis leaves off. And in fact, in Hebrew, it starts with the word and. So it's continuing what we learned in Genesis about Jake, Joseph going and being in Egypt and even being used by God to help Egypt overcome a famine. And in Exodus 1.5, we read the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons and Joseph was already there. So we see that Jacob and Joseph, their family, um, they make up about 70 people and they are in Egypt. 
This, in Egypt, looks like a place of refuge and prosperity. Because of how God provided through Joseph, Egypt has become a place of refuge for the surrounding areas, the surrounding countryside that has suffered through the famine. So they've gathered here in Egypt because it looks like a place of prosperity. But look at verse 7 with me. It says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, Now there arose a king, a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply if war breaks out, and they will join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Have you had a time like this in your life? Where something seemed promising or like a place of refuge and prosperity, maybe it was a relationship or a job or a life stage that you think, hey, that's the promised land. That's a place of refuge. But then that place of refuge and prosperity or that relationship, it turns. And it becomes something that enslaves you. It becomes something that doesn't live up to your expectations. That all of a sudden doesn't satisfy. This is where the Israelites find themselves Phil Riken in his commentary on Exodus puts it this way, what once had seemed like a promising place to grow into a godly nation, according to God's promise, became a house of bondage, a wasteland of back-breaking torment. And in fact, that word taskmaster that we see here in the scripture, that means backbreaker. They put loads on the backs of the Israelites. So what once seemed like a refuge now has become something that has enslaved and tormented them. The Israelites were suffering. They were suffering in Egypt. Why? Because their enemy had enslaved them. There were two enemies at play against them. One enemy was Egypt, the world, people of this world, uh, an actual enslaver, a human enslaving another. But then they were fighting the enemy the unseen enemy, the devil, who any time that there is enslavement or there is murder or there is persecution of one of God's image bearers, there is a demonic presence at play. So here we see a physical enemy and a spiritual enemy pitted against God's people and God's promises. They were suffering. This suffering was imposed upon them. And the reason is because the Israelites were seen as a threat. It's a pretty long quote, but it's just so poignant for not only Exodus, but this week in the life of our country. Again, to Phil Riken, Pharaoh used the threat of warfare as a pretext for persecuting foreigners. Blaming things on ethnic minorities is always convenient because racism is part of our sinful human nature. Whether it's in Nazi Germany, Afrikaners in being the black threat in South Africa, or whether it's a new wave of immigrants constantly coming to America, we have prejudiced against others in America and throughout history. I will add to this, it is nothing new in our country, but it was in vivid living color this week that 
me as a white man and my children as white young men do not have the same experience and the same freedoms in our country that a young black man or woman do. Racism is at work in our world. There are more people enslaved in our world today than at any point in human history. This idea of racism has not been weeded out of our country, our region, our world, our continent. It is still embedded in us and it manifests itself in living color now that cell phones are available to capture it. What we saw in video this week has been happening to people of color in this country since the the moment we stepped onto this land. So, God's people enslaved, Pharaoh using racism and fear to enslave God's people. In chapter 1, we see 400 years take place in chapter 1, and in chapter 1, we see very little of the providence of God. He said his people would multiply, but instantly they are enslaved. They are seen as a threat. They are the victims of racial injustice. There is also, by God's provision, I believe, 400 years in between the Old and New Testament where God is silent as well. There are times in the history of God's people, there are times in your life, in my life, where God seems silent. So let's transition to chapter 2 to see if God remains silent. In the first few verses of chapter 2, we see things escalate. At first, Pharaoh was killing God's people slowly over time, but then he sees them as a threat and he takes violent action in the form of infanticide. Young Hebrew boys are killed at birth. That's what takes place. An escalation of violence, an escalation of overt murder. And in these moments, God seems silent. So many times in scripture, God seems silent. As we move into chapter 2, it seems like that silence is just getting louder. God may seem silent. When have you felt that God was silent in your life? I want to assure you, and more importantly, God's word wants to assure you that God is not silent. Let's look at what takes place as we move through Exodus chapter 2. God does not remain silent, but he sends his deliverers. That's what the second half of chapter 2 is all about. In chapter 2, we see that this plan of Pharaoh's to kill the newborn boys, that plan is subverted by two Hebrew midwives who decide to defy Pharaoh, lie to Pharaoh, and to save the young Hebrew boys. We need to take note here that in this chapter, in chapter 2, the name of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the known world, his name is not given. But two Hebrew midwives are given a name. That's for a reason. Look with me at Exodus chapter 2. Verse 17. But the midwives, but the midwives, 
feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. Who is significant in the kingdom of God? It is not who the world gives a name, but it is who God gives a name. It's who God sees and knows and hears. Who is significant in God's kingdom? The one who fears God. That's what we learned from this passage. Who does he use? Those who fear God and not man. In fact, we're going to be introduced to Moses soon. And in Hebrews 11, we are told that by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he had endured as seeing him who is invisible. He feared God instead of man. That's the same thing with these Hebrew midwives. We see the Hebrew midwives as the first deliverers, and then we see Moses as a deliverer. One of those young babies was put into what in Hebrew is called an ark. We call it a basket, but in the Hebrew, it's the Egyptian word for an ark. He's put in an ark by his mother and sent down the river to hopefully escape this infanticide, this murder that is taking place. That ark is also held together by something called pitch. Just an interesting side note here that any Jewish reader would read this or anyone who knows Hebrew would read this and say, oh, this sounds familiar. Someone going down the water in an ark held together by pitch? Sounds very similar to Noah. God saved his deliverer in Noah in a similar way to his saving his deliverer Moses here. Exodus chapter 2, verse 6, Pharaoh's daughter ironically, and by God's provision, sees Moses floating and has him brought in. And here's what it says in Exodus 2, 6. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this one, this is one of the Hebrew children. She took notice of this child. She took the Hebrew child in and she took care of of the Hebrew child. She made him her own. She saw someone in distress. She reached out and intervened, and she made him her own. This is very similar to the language used at the end of the book. As we continue, or the end of the chapter, as we continue through chapter two, we see Moses rise up, God call him to be the deliverer of his people. We'll talk more about the ins and outs of that, his commissioning next week. But we see Moses grow up in Pharaoh's house, him see the injustice done to his people, see him run away to the desert and be called by God and be sent back to be the deliverer for his people. We'll get into that in subsequent weeks. But the point is that God saw his people. He did not remain silent and he sent his deliverers. He sent the midwives. He sent Pharaoh's daughter. He sent Moses to deliver his people. Look with me at the end of chapter 2, how this chapter concludes, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Do you ever feel unseen by God? Unknown by God? Do you feel like your cries to him go unheard? This scripture and all of scripture and the fact of Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, because of the God that we see here in Exodus, we can know that in our affliction, in our suffering, even in our sin, God sees, he hears, and he knows. He could have delivered the Israelites in any other way, but he chose to deliver them in this specific way because he saw their plight. He knew it needed to come to an end, and he delivered them. We're going to continue to see this providence and deliverance of God as we go through the book of Exodus. God is here being faithful to his promise. When we turn back to Genesis 15, we see the promise given to Abraham. Genesis 15, it says, The Lord said to Abram, who would become Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land, not theirs, and they will be servants, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is God describing exactly what would take place here in Exodus. Verse 14 of Genesis 15, But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they will come out of Egypt with Egypt's possessions. So what do we learn from this text? Four things, four implications from this text. Number one, we need to know God. We need to know God. We need to know the God of the Bible. One of the things that we will see here in Exodus is God's explanation for what kind of God do the Hebrews serve and what kind of God can we serve? Let's get to know this God who sees, who hears, who knows. He knows your plight. He sees your sin. He hears your cries for mercy. And he is willing, able, and powerful to save you. Get to know this God. Get to know this God through his word. Get to know this God through this series in Exodus. Get to know this God by being in community with his people. Look at the nature and the character of this God. We need to look to scripture to see who he really is. During this series, we will know who God is and we can respond to his grace. Number two, we need to remember our deliverance. If we have been saved, if we see that God knows us, if we have had our sins forgiven by Christ's atoning work on the cross, then we need to remember that we have been delivered. We have been delivered from physical enemies and we've been delivered from the schemes of the devil, but we have also been delivered from our sin. Sometimes our suffering is imposed upon us from others. And sometimes our sin is exposed and our suffering is because of what's going on in our own heart. We need to be delivered from the bondage of sin. This was not the last time the Israelites would be in exile or bondage. Sometimes it was because of an outside threat. Other times it was because of their own wayward hearts. Our suffering 
can lead us to sin, and others' sin can lead us to suffering. Either way, sin enslaves. And it's something we need to be delivered from. It's a bondage that we need to be delivered from. At one point, Egypt looked like an oasis in the desert for God's people. It was really just a trap to ensnare them. This is what sin looks like for us. It looks like an oasis in the desert, a way of deliverance, but it is a false savior. And we need to be delivered from those false saviors, that idolatry that enslaves us. Isaiah 55 puts it this way, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Stop sucking on the ground and the sand to satisfy your thirst. Your thirst can only be quenched in God. He is the only savior and deliverer you can trust. We need to remember our deliverance from our enemies. There are 75 references in the Bible to what God did in the Exodus. Egypt is referenced 20 times in the New Testament. Most of the sermons in Acts turn back to Exodus to remember God's deliverance of his people. Fifteen times it is mentioned in the minor prophets of the Old Testament. There are over 40 references into it as we move forward in the Old Testament. God wants his people to remember their deliverance. All of these are given to us in scripture to remember what God has done. We can be delivered from our sin. We can be delivered from our suffering in this life and in the life to come. Number three, press into the pain. Press into the pain. It is so hard when we are in pain. It's so hard when our future is uncertain. It's so hard when things happen in our world and our culture that are confusing. It's so hard to be uncertain about when we'll gather back together as a church. There's so many things that are uncertain in our world right now. And one thing that God is exposing in our hearts is that we don't like uncertainty. We avoid uncertainty. We develop these little lives around us, these creature comforts that try to keep us from any uncertainty. And God is showing us what uncertainty can do for us can show us our idols. It can expose our sin. It can show where we have hurts. We need to press into pain and we need to learn from our pain. How are you doing with uncertainty? Where there is uncertainty, while it's challenging, faith, our faith can thrive. Because all we have to lean into is our Savior, our Deliverer, our God. There have been so many times in the history of God's people where their pe- his people were in pain. Adam and Eve dealing with the pain of their own sin. The Israelites so many times throughout the Old Testament. The 400 years of silence that we find in chapter 1 of Exodus and between the Testaments. God's people in, under the, the throes of the Roman Empire 
God's people being marginalized in society, which if you look over history, they normally are. In times when we can't meet together as a church for the first time in a hundred years in our country, in all these ways, God is at work no matter what. Instead of asking, how can we get out of this pain? We need to ask, where is God at work in my pain? Lastly, number four, we need to act for the sake of others. In this passage, we see the midwives. We see Miriam, Moses' sister. We see Aaron, Moses' brother. We see Moses. We see Pharaoh's daughter. And we see God intervening on behalf of others, giving a voice to the voiceless and the helpless, bringing justice, bringing mercy, bringing deliverance, reflecting the very heart of God. If we read this passage and we just know a few more Bible stories, but we do not act on behalf of others, then we do not know the heart of God. When we see the response of people of color in our community, on our Facebook feed, on our Twitter, in our church community, when we see their response to minorities being murdered in the street, Instead of pointing out all the things that are wrong, we need to grieve. We need to grieve and we need to listen well and we need to intervene and give a voice to the voiceless. Instead of pointing out things like all lives matter or there's good cops out there, those things are true, but we need to hear the pain of our community, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we are giving a voice to the voiceless, when we are bringing justice, when we are bringing mercy, when we are setting the captive free, we are close to the heart of God. We must look to our Savior, our Deliverer, to know how to give a voice to those that do not have a voice for themselves. God saw, and he heard, and he knew his people. Will we listen to the voice of God and then listen to one another and intervene on behalf of those that are marginalized, those that are in a minority position, those that suffer from systematic, systemic racism in our country, will we give a voice to those that have been silenced? When we do, we match the heart of God. Will we recognize the racism that is in our own heart, that prejudices against anyone that does not look like us or does not share our experience? God will deliver his people and God will bring justice and God will bless the world through his people. The question is, will we be a part of it? I want to encourage you to reach out and to know this God that sees you, that knows you, that hears your cries for help. Whether you're dismayed because of what you see in our culture, whether you're fearful for your own children, whether you are hearing about this Savior and you're saying, I don't know anything about this. I know I need deliverance, but I don't know how Jesus can deliver me. Reach out and find the God that sees, hears, and knows you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for hearing our voice. Thank you for hearing those that we do not hear. 
Thank you for hearing my cries for help. Thank you for delivering me from my sins. God, I pray that you would do the same for those that hear my voice here today. God, we may, may we act on behalf of those that don't have a voice. May we be thankful for the deliverance and the strength that you give us. God, we thank you for delivering us from the bondage of sin and death. Thank you that your voice is louder and truer than the voice of our enemy. God, we thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you are powerful, able, and willing to save us. Thank you that our cries for mercy reach your ear. God, we grieve over what our brothers and sisters in Christ are grieving over today. We want to grieve with them. We want to give them a voice. We want to listen well. Help us to reflect your love for your people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.